Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. Please have your Bibles ready. It's Galatians chapter 4 as we continue our study in this great little letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Galatian churches in the first century. There's a great movie, maybe you've seen it, called Remember the Titans. And there's a, the scene there where Denzel Washington, who's playing a high school football coach, is ready to, to take his team to an athletic camp to get ready for the season. And there's this white kid that's just giving him a hard time. And Denzel finally has had enough, and he goes up to him, and he just looks him square in the eyes and says, when we get on that bus, there's only one daddy. Now answer me this, who's your daddy? Say it, who's your daddy? And the kid says, you are. Uh, It's a great movie, and I love that scene. That's not really my question for you today. Uh, It could be a question, but I want to just, I want to change a little bit. I want to ask you the question, who's your mama? Now, you may wonder, why in the world would I be asking you that question? Well, I'm going to help you understand why that is an important question today. But let me remind you first about what's happening, why, why Paul wrote this letter. You see, There has been damage done to the gospel. Infiltrated into the church is a false doctrine, a different gospel that Paul says is no gospel at all. Remember, gospel is good news, and this is not good news. And Luke explained it to us the first week when we began our study. And it can be explained in a lot of ways. Let me explain it this way, that there were Judaizers. And the Judaizers were were people who believed in Jesus, who followed Jesus, But they came out of Judaism. They had a hard time letting go of that. And they would tell the Gentile person, oh, you could become a Christian, but you need to convert to Judaism first since the Jews were the chosen people of God in the Old Testament period. So you convert to Judaism, then you can become a Christian. And with that came everything about the ceremonial law that they expected the Gentile believer to perform as well as the Jewish believer, uh, the observation of circumcision and the special feasts and the Sabbath rules and traditions. And all of this was just binding up people. That's not freedom. That's not what the gospel is about. And so Paul was writing out of deep anguish for this false doctrine that that had come to the church there. So that's the background. We come to chapter 4 now, and our text begins in verse 21 of that chapter today. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. But The Jerusalem that is above is free, and she's our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, 
You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of a promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Now, that's an intriguing text. It's a difficult test to go word by word and verse by verse, and we don't have time to cover the whole meaning of every phrase in that, but I think we can learn some good things out of this today. Jesus, you know, loved telling stories. Paul wasn't a storyteller, but here he does refer to an Old Testament account, a biblical story that was a true story about two women, Hagar and Sarah. It's an allegory. And this story is found in Genesis chapter 16, and it's one of the juiciest stories in the Bible. It's almost like a script out of the days of our lives. So let's go to the story, let's get to the truth, and let's see what Paul is trying to communicate to us. First of all, what's the scoop about these women? Well, it all started when God established a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was 75 years of age, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to give you descendants that outnumber all the stars in the the sky and the sand on the seashore. Well, Abraham was excited about that, even though he was 75 years of age and his wife was 65 years of age. This was a pretty cool thing that was going to happen. But time went by, and now years have gone by. In fact, a decade went by. And there was still no sign of a kid. And and Sarah starts thinking, what can I do about this? Well, she had this Egyptian slave woman, slave girl named Hagar. And she suggested to Abraham, hey, why don't you have a baby with her? He said, okay, that's a good idea. And so that's exactly what happens. This baby is born to Abraham and to Hagar. It seemed like a logical thing to do, but sometimes the things that are logical are not the smart things to do, and certainly this wasn't. In fact, three major consequences came out of this, one of them that reaches right to us today. First of all, the first consequence was two jealous women. Now, it's bad enough to be about one jealous woman, but imagine having two jealous women, because as soon as Hagar was expecting, Sarah... Sarah couldn't stand it. You can imagine that. And that day, especially when it was, a, it was a heinous thing for a woman not to bear a child. She had no sense of worth. Can you imagine the look? Maybe a proud look that Hagar had, a sneering look. Maybe this jealous, spiteful look back that Sarah had. I mean, our imaginations can go wild when we really think about how they treated each other and how they squabbled. And there's one verse that says that Sarah mistreated Hagar. Now, that Hebrew word for mistreated there actually means whipped. And it must have been serious because in that day, a woman without a husband had no recourse for support. It was so bad, Hagar ran away. She was in great distress. But God met her in her running. And he met her needs there. And he said, now you go back and you have that baby. And she did. She did go back and she had that baby. There were these two jealous women. Second of all, there were two competing sons out of this. 
Hannah, I'm sorry, Hagar did give birth to Ishmael. That was his name. He was, he came, he came to them. Uh, he, his name was Ishmael because it means God is listening. And Hagar knew that God heard her crying on that road when she was running away. Now, Ishmael grew to be about um, 13, 14 years of age. And God shows up again and tells Abraham, now it's time to have a baby. And Sarah was listening and she laughed. And I don't know what kind of laugh it was or lots of different kinds of laughter. My guess, it was maybe a, a laughter of cynicism. But God transformed that laughter of cynicism into a laughter of joy because about a year later, Isaac was born, and his name means laughter. And imagine, imagine it was time for breakfast. Laughter, come for breakfast. It was a constant, his name was a constant reminder of God's goodness to Sarah and that he had been faithful to his promise. But when Isaac was about three years of age or so, and Ishmael was 16 or 17 or so. It began to hit Ishmael that he was not going to get all his daddy Abraham's stuff. He was not going to inherit anything. So he started taunting little Isaac, and it got bad. And finally, Sarah said, I've had enough of this. I want that woman and her son out of here. And so Abraham had said, yes, dear, whatever you want. And so he sent Abraham, he sent Sarah and Ishmael away. And so that's the two competing sons that they had to deal with. The third consequence of this matter that happened was two hostile races formed. Because the descendants of Ishmael are the Arabs. The descendants of Isaac are the Jews. And we know that the whole world has been impacted today because of those relationships. Genesis 16, 12 said this. God was saying this to Hagar about her son to be born. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And all we have to do is pick up the paper today about any day of the week and we'll see some conflict between the Arabs and the Jews today. It's affected our whole world. So that's the story. That's, that's what's happened as a result. Now, what, what do we learn from this? Well, let, let me first of all draw a couple of lessons and then drive it down more deeply into our personal lives. Two lessons for us, because this is not just an historical account that we read in the Bible, not just a Bible story. Here's what Paul is saying, in essence. There are two ways of salvation, law and grace. Ishmael represents frustrating performance based on religion. Why? Because Ishmael was born out of human effort, human means, a human design, a human plan, human ingenuity. There was nothing unusual about his birth. He was simply born to Hagar and, and to Abraham. God's work was not necessary. All other religions of the world are based on human effort, but not our faith. It is rooted in something more. It's rooted in the spirit represented by Isaac. 
Isaac represents joyful living under grace because Isaac was born out of God's divine intervention. He was the child of the promise of God. And by God's power, by God's miracle, working in the lives of Abraham and Sarah, he was born. So the fact that you and I get to be followers of Jesus, that is a result of God's divine intervention in the history of the world when Jesus, God's one and only Son, was born in Bethlehem to be the Savior of the world, our Savior and our Lord. He went on to die on the cross. We recognize that on Good Friday just a few days ago, his burial, his resurrection. It's all about God's divine intervention so we could have transformed lives out of our sinfulness, out of our rebellion, and we could be made new and have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Ishmael was proud of being the firstborn, and he mocked Isaac. That's how legalistic mindsets work. They always mock the life of grace. That the Ishmael way of doing life and doing religion always produces pride and it's always condescending. Isaac knew he did not deserve the inheritance of his father Abraham as the second son. That all shouldn't have been his. He knew it was a gift. It's represented by the spirit of those two that Jesus spoke about. In Luke chapter 18, there were two men who went up to the temple to pray and one was a Pharisee. He was self-righteous, and he pointed his finger at all the other people around him. Said, I'm so glad I'm not around like all these other lowlifes. And the tax collector, who knew he had done shameful things, simply prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And those of us who live by grace because of what Christ has done for us have that same spirit when we continually are meeting Jesus and meeting him at the cross and allowing him to reign in our lives. The second lesson is this, is that Ishmael, or we may say legalism, and Isaac, meaning laughter, cannot live in the same tent. They do not go together. And each of us have little Ishmaels in our lives. Friends, I have little Ishmaels in my life. In my life. I, I know I've been saved by grace, but sometimes I see in my life spirit, a spirit of Ishmael come out, a spirit, an atmosphere of legalism, of kind of trying to want to do enough to make God pleased with me and, and make me worthy of, of him. Uh, and that, that is an Ishmael mindset. It's an Ishmael mindset when I look at someone else and begin comparing myself and think that, that I'm more worthy of God than that person is because of what I've done for God. That is, that is Ishmael in me. You see, one, one believes he is too good for God to turn away. That's the Ishmael mindset. The other knows this is too good to be true. How can God save me when I have done so much against him? That's the person that prays, Lord, have mercy on me. That's what it means to be Christ-centered. Now, we're to walk in holiness. We're to walk in, in submission and surrender and obedience out of what God has done for us, not because we want somehow to make ourselves worthy. See, it's not because you and I are so good that God recognizes us and saves us. 
It's because he is so good to, to do this toward us, to send his only son to be our savior. You got any legalism in your heart today? See, the legalism, the legalist song goes something like this. Jesus paid it some, I must do the rest. Sin had left some crimson stain, I'll work to pass the test. And I fear there are a lot of people who live that way. That somehow the cross wasn't sufficient. I've still got to do something. I've got to earn my way. I know it because I hear too many people say, well, boy, I hope I've done enough. No, you haven't. And you never will. You never can. It's all on grace. It's all on what God has done for us. Maybe we'd be good in this church to start an L.A. meeting. Legalists Anonymous. I'm Steve. My name's Steve. And I'm a recovering legalist. And God is still working on my heart today so that I can know complete freedom in him. Now, let me drive it down one more level to three PowerPoints for our lives, three personal applications to this, what we might call Sarah's Hagar solution. First, a word about God's promises. It's just this. He keeps them. Abraham and Sarah obviously didn't think God, God would do. He wouldn't come through with what he said he would do. Friends, he will. He will come through. He's given us the promises that, that count the most. He says, you come to me and I will give you rest. And he'll do that. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you, no matter what. That is always true. He says, you don't have to worry about your life, about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. I'm going to take care of you. I take care of birds and flowers. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? You don't have to question that. He promises to cleanse us and forgive us as we confess our sins to him. And as we are born again, when we are baptized in him, he promises to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and treat us as, as his own son. That's a promise. He, 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 he promises to come back and receive us to himself. He's going to do that. Now, we pray a lot about a lot of circumstances in our lives. I don't understand the power of prayer. I don't understand how God answers prayers and when he answers prayers and, 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 and what's going on. I do know that God is trustworthy. He's true to his word. And he is worthy to have prime position in our lives. And that's really all we need to go on to live a life he wants us to live. Now, a word about God's timing uh, Abraham should have been strong enough at the very beginning to tell Sarah when she suggested about having a baby with, hey, she, he should have been strong enough to say, Sarah, that is a bad idea. But he just didn't do it. He should have said, let's wait on God. You know, God, God is much more concerned about timing than time. And he knows what he's about. And we just have to learn to rest and trust in him. I mean, Abraham... I understand in the flesh where he was coming from. I mean, Sarah's clock, it wasn't ticking anymore. I mean, the battery was corroded, for crying out loud. And it, it seemed logical, maybe, to just to do something about this. But it wasn't right. It wasn't trusting in God's promise. And so we continue to trust him no matter what. And a word about our control. God had a design and Abraham and Sarah simply substituted their plan 
for God's. And the whole world is still paying the price today for that one bad decision. Now, thankfully, God's redeeming it. And people all over the Middle East are coming to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we praise God for that, that in spite of man's bad decisions and choices, he still performs his good work. So let me just, let me sum it up this way. There's a little verse tucked away in here. Let me read it to you again. It's an interesting verse. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, when that's first written, it's a prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 54, when the Jews have been led away to exile and Jerusalem looks desolate. And God is saying to him, my children, don't you worry because I'm going to get you back here. And there's going to be more fruit that comes out of Jerusalem than you have any idea about. And we know that now because the Messiah was born. And the Messiah died and was buried and rose on the third day just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And we're the church today because of that truth. So first of all, let me say this. Paul's trying to say, look, if you live by law, that's a terrible way to live your life. Even the law of good works. Some of you listening today, watching today, may may think you're good enough that God should just like you because you're a good person and you would do anything for anybody. And you probably would. There are many people that have died for good causes. But you see, that doesn't save us. There's nothing we can do good enough. That, 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 that 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 will reap no fruit eternally. Others of us have been in the church for decades. We've been Christ followers. And it's so easy to get under a rule-based living style. And that is a terrible way to live as well. Let me illustrate it this way. This is Lillian Krager. Lillian was born in 1874. She was of German descent. And she lived in Manhattan in New York City. And she became a Christian in her 20s, and about 10 years later, she led two young black ladies to Christ. And she brought those black ladies to her church, and they wouldn't let them come in because of their skin color. And Lillian was just grieving about that. She was engaged at the time to be married. And she went to where those young ladies lived in Harlem to start saying the Bible with them. And her fiancé told her, you keep going back to those black people and I'm not going to marry you, and nobody else will either. And she said, well, so be it. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to make a difference. And today, you can go to Harlem and New York City, and you will see the Bethel Gospel Assembly Church. It takes up a city block where they minister to the, those in despair in Harlem, and they have a, a mission efforts in various countries of the world. All because one woman who ended up choosing barrenness by breaking up with a fiance, fiance bore thousands. Her life was so fruitful for the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, law living rooted in human effort will simply not bear the same fruit as grace living. Now, it'll bear fruit. 
the fruit of pride and condemnation and judgment and finger wagging and hard effort to try to somehow get to the afterlife or get God to like me or to love me. I tell you, that is a hard way to live. It's so much, it's so much better. It's so much more beautiful to live, live under Isaac's style, which is fruit of grace. The fruit of grace is righteousness and peace and joy and mercy and peace and good works too out of gratitude to God. So, one question for you. Who's your mama? If it's Hagar, then you'll be in bondage to religion, a religion that burdens and enslaves and will suck the life right out of you. But if you're a child of Sarah, then you've been set free by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. You're free. Free not to sin. You're free not to do whatever you want to do. You're you're not free to write your own terms with God. But you're free to become all you were meant to be because God made you. Being Hagar's child will wear you out and suffocate you. Being Sarah's child will delight your heart and set you free. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you have heard my own confession of sin more than once about a legalistic spirit and attitude and mindset. And you have forgiven me time and again when I've seen it in my life. And I thank you for your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness on behalf of our congregation when we as a church have exhibited that in any way at all, a legalistic mindset. Father, I I pray that we will trust you with our whole heart and the work that Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, that we might be children of God. And we're pausing right now to thank you for that sacrifice. With these emblems, a little juice and a little bread, seemingly insignificant, we use to remember as the Lord established, remembering Christ's body broken for us and his blood poured out that we might be free indeed. May you be highly praised even as we remember and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.